Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week I've got some thoughts on NBC's attempt to resurrect one of my favorite shows of all time. Should they have left it alone? Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. Big MCU news this week as an old friend is joining the Deadpool circuits. Plus... We'll continue our fall TV preview, which includes some big ones starting this Sunday. But first, Rolling Stone magazine put out its list of the top 100 TV shows of all time this week. And if you recognize that song, you'll know that The Sopranos was number one on the list. No surprise there. Now, I don't have a problem with The Sopranos being at number one. I haven't watched it since it went off the air 15 years ago, but I have been thinking about doing a rewatch. Might have to get on that this winter. The Sopranos often tops these sort of lists, and it's, of course, you know, it was a fantastic show. More importantly, though, was that it delivered this seismic shift to the TV world. The prestige cable shows became, you know, the shows people talked about after The Sopranos. Bad guys became the new league characters. Seasons uh, became shorter. A lot of the cable shows, of course, only do somewhere between 10 and 15 episodes a season. All the things we associate with modern television really started with The Sopranos in the late 90s. So aside from it being a terrific show in its own right, it is also one of the most important shows of all time. So leading the list of the top 100 shows in the Rolling Stone list makes a lot of sense. The rest of the top 10, uh, we had The Mary Tyler Moore Show at number 10, Atlanta at number 9, a show I tried watching, only got a couple episodes into it just just wasn't working for me, but I should maybe give that one a go again because people really seem to like it, the ones that watch it. Cheers was at number eight. Mad Men at seven. Seinfeld was at six. Fleabag was at five. That was a shocker to a lot of people. That was a shocker to me, and I loved Fleabag. It was number four on my best of the decade list that we did uh, in the beginning of 2020, I suppose, but I was still surprised to see it that high on this list. Uh, beating Seinfeld is kind of sacrilegious in my view, but that's just me. And then the top four uh, were much more expected. The Wire at four, Breaking Bad at three, The Simpsons, of course, at two, and The Sopranos at one. Brett, what do you think of the top ten of the lists here? Top ten's pretty good. Like five of my, I would say, my favorite shows are in there. You wear a rug! It's not a rug. It's not a rug. It's a hair replacement system. She's trying me crazy i can't sleep i can't leave the house i'm here i'm climbing the walls meanwhile i'm dating a virgin i'm in this contest something's gotta give revenge is like serving cold cuts revenge is a dish best served cold so what i say kids you tried your best and you failed miserably the lesson is never try i am not in danger skyler i am the danger a guy opens his door and gets shot and you think that of me no I am the one who knocks. I guess I should say four of my five favorite shows because you know what? I never finished The Sopranos. I've never seen it all the way through. It was one of those shows that my mom watched. So yeah. I'd sometimes join her and sit down and try to figure out what's going on. I always enjoyed it when I did watch it. And I did watch the final season and I watched the finale with everybody else. But I haven't seen much of that series. And I have always also meant to go back and, and give that one a whirl. But uh, yeah, indeed, The Sopranos, I think, belongs in that spot because without The Sopranos, who knows what the television landscape would look like right now. Like it, you, the words that you used, seismic, uh, that's the best word to describe it because what a shakeup that show brought to the world of television. But yeah, this is a good list. I mean, I'm looking at um, 
Some shows that I love are not on here, like 24 didn't make the cut, but Lost did. And those were the two shows that I think that kind of kicked off somewhat of a new revolution in television as well in terms of serialized primetime television. And uh, you might remember, I think it was in 2006, where every show on network television was serialized and they all failed because it was just too much. (laughs) It was too much. But uh, both of those shows, I think, really helped to change the game. I see The Good Place is here, ranked at number 40, so that's great because that was one of our favorite shows of the last uh, few years about people who go up to The Good Place. They die and they go to The Good Place. It was super fun, super creative. Game of Thrones on the list, Better Call Saul, Friday Night Lights at number 28. I also like that they included stuff like Sesame Street is number 26 on this list. And usually when you look at lists like this, you don't quite see that that kind of show. So I think it's great uh, because Sesame Street's been around as long as I can remember. And it was super important in, in my childhood and it remains important for millions of kids around the world. So I think that's fantastic, but uh, yeah, tough to argue with the, the top 10 and indeed Fleabag. What a huge surprise, but I like how Rolling Stone put it. They, she did gave two awesome seasons and then had the good grace to get out while it was still good. So that's such a British thing too, because faulty towers of course is also on the list and people talk about faulty towers. Like it was, you know, and it's deserves to be on the list, but people have such reverence for that show. And then you go back and watch it and there's just 12 episodes of it. And that's it. (laughs) But it's like, but and it was like 45 years ago, but it still has that lasting effect. People still talk about that show. Yeah. I was, I like, of course I, Enjoyed seeing Lost on the list as well, uh, being one of my favorite shows. I was just a little chafed that it was at 35. I thought it should have been higher, but I know how uh, polarizing it was. So uh, I guess uh, 35. Shouldn't complain about that. I was surprised that Game of Thrones was only at 31 on the list. I thought that would be quite a bit higher. And I think if they when they do this again in five or ten years, I, I bet you that moves up quite a bit because I think that's got some staying power. Not just because they're going to have all these spinoff shows, but the, I just think... Whatever problem people had with the ending of original Game of Thrones, that's going to fade over time, and people just look back at the series as a whole, and I think it'll uh, get bumped up in its esteem there. Um, Band of Brothers, that's the one I have the biggest problem with. It is on the list. It's at number 80, though, and I really think that should be in the top 30 somewhere. I, I just think it's that good. It's still, for my money, the best thing to have ever been on TV, but... You know, they didn't ask me to vote. They had a hundred other people voting, uh, a variety of critics and TV stars and show creators and that sort of thing. If you're wondering how the list was compiled, it wasn't just like some internet. Rolling Stone came up with the list. A couple of my other faves made it. Uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia at 81. I actually didn't think that would be on the list. So that was a pleasant surprise. Justified at 76. I'd like to rewatch that one someday as well. Uh, my beloved Frasier at 75. I guess I'm just glad it made the list. And then The Leftovers came in at number 17. I, I'm glad it's on the list. I would never have expected it to be that high because just from the fact that it really feels like almost no one on the planet saw it. I, I don't even think I've met anyone else that has watched that show. I've got, I know I have some friends that started watching it and bailed on it because the first season is so incredibly bleak. But uh, if you stick with it, the leftovers has a, a tremendous payoff over three seasons. So I was thrilled to see it at number 17 on the list. My dad watched the leftovers. There you go. I get, I'll get to go out for a beer with your old man one day. And, talk <laughs> leftovers. and I, also I'm just, I'm actually 
little surprised by this as I go through the list. I missed this the first time around, but um, coming in at number 23 is Watchmen, which was, I thought, pretty good, but like the 23rd greatest television show of all time. <laughs> I don't know. Some of the, I mean, that, that's always the thing. Whenever you get these lists, there are always going to be things that make you scratch your head. There are always going to yep. be things that are in your mind or my mind, a snub. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty comprehensive list that, that spans decades. Uh, I mentioned Sesame Street earlier. The Muppet show is also on this list. The kids in the hall, some great Canadian boys, they're on the list as well. So, yeah, this really runs a, a solid gauntlet of all things television. It's kind of like a, a snapshot of, of television history, really. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad of the way that they did this. But you know what's not on the list? And I, I looked through the preamble to see if maybe it was like one of the caveats that they didn't have it. But there's no reality shows on this list. I was, I'm not surprised that, like, you know, the... The Housewives of Beverly Hills aren't on the list or something, but you'd think Survivor would have cracked this list of anything just because of, you know, like the Sopranos, just like the insane effect that it had on the television landscape uh, 22 years ago when it first debuted. Next thing we knew, half the shows were reality shows because of Survivor and there's nothing on there. I guess they just didn't, I guess they're just going for scripted stuff. If you're getting TV stars and TV show creators to vote, I guess that's just how it pans out. Yeah. It could also be that maybe they all secretly hate reality TV because it's essentially just a, it's a much cheaper way for the networks to provide programming. And that's why there were and remain so many reality shows now. Um, but yeah, Survivor, I think, does deserve a spot in history for sure because it that too was one of those earth-shattering shows that kind of just blew everything up and said, okay, so there is a different way of doing things and uh, no one had thought of it before. So we're going to make ourselves a lot of money with this show. Um, and the other the other oddity I found was that, uh, and maybe it's just me, but uh, at number 95 is Squid Game. And I, as soon as I saw that, I thought, you know what? The next time they update this list in three or five or 10 years, Squid Game just won't be there because I really do think that that was... I mean, it was a quality show. It was a good show, but it was, I just think it was one of those, it just caught, you know, with lightning in a bottle kind of thing with the pandemic and everything going on that people were just in the mood for a squid game. And I think I, I'm, I'm just skeptical enough that I think when season two comes out, everybody will be like, oh, this isn't as good as we remembered it being. And it'll just be the, in two years from now, no one will remember squid game. Yeah, that's, that's, that's possible. I'm curious. I think they should leave it alone and not do, uh, second season, but uh, of course they got up. And they, 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 by the way, the South Koreans, they've also, they um, recently did their own version of Money Heist, the Spanish show, which I quite yep. enjoy. I love that Money Heist. And I enjoyed the South Korean version. They're now, uh, do, they've done a Narcos. They've done their own version of Narcos. Why not? These things uh, go around. Half the shows on this list are probably were uh, born from uh, British television shows <laughs> 10 years earlier. So. Yeah, that's fair. Hey, in a moment, speaking of uh, the greatest shows and our favorite shows of all time, I've got some thoughts on NBC's reboot of one of my all-time faves. Let's do that next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We just talked about the Rolling Stone list, the top 100 greatest TV shows of all time. And right now I want to talk about one of my favorites of all time. It did not make Rolling Stone's list, but it makes mine. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime. Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. 
He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. Ah, goosebumps. I love it. I love it so much. Quantum Leap. It aired for five seasons on NBC, starring starting in 1989, starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell. And it's kind of a ridiculous premise, but it's just, it's an all-time classic show for me. Bakula is Dr. Sam Beckett, a brilliant scientist working on a top-secret time travel project for the government. And the project doesn't quite work the way he expected, and he ends up leaping into someone else, learning that the only way out is to make right something that once went wrong. Also hoping the next leap would be the leap home, but he never made it home. It was a wonderful show because it was so hopeful. Every week he would drop into someone's life, learn who they are, find out what needs to be fixed, and, and fix it. Just average, ordinary people. It was also wonderful because of its simplicity. The only other main supporting character was his guide, Al, played by Stockwell, who is a appears as a, he's a hologram to Sam. Only Sam can see him uh, because he's back in the present day. But through a hollow chamber, he can step into Sam's world, so to speak. And he had this little handheld computer named Ziggy that made funny noises when he would smack it. Really should not have worked as a show, but good storytelling won the day. And now we have a reboot, which debuted last week. Your name is Dr. Ben Song. You're from the year 2022. You are the lead physicist on a top secret project called Quantum Leap. You're a time traveler. I'm Addison Augustine. We're, we work together. Obviously I time travel into other people, so beam me up. It's not that simple. You leap into people to help them or someone around them, changing history for the better. No matter what happens, ben, look out! I am going to be with you every step of the way until we get you home. It's been nearly 30 years since Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. Now a new team, led by physicist Ben Song, has been assembled to restart the project. Everything changes, though, when Ben makes an unauthorized leap into the past, leaving the team behind to solve the mystery of why he did it. So now they've expanded on the original idea by adding this bigger supporting cast and a story that's happening simultaneously back in the present. Ben that the technology wasn't ready. Can you hear me? Why did he leap? Find out what he's there to do and bring him home. It's the voice of Ernie Hudson, by the way. And But there's the problem. Um, I've only watched one episode so far, so I'm not going to like cast an entire judgment on this or anything, but it already feels like it's trying too hard and it's not having enough fun. Like the first show was fun, so much fun. Whereas now they've added this mystery. Why did he leap? Who's he working with? What are they up to? How do we get him home? How do we keep the secret? Again, I'm only one episode in and I enjoyed it. But so far, it doesn't quite have the heart of the original. And I'm guessing it will just get canceled. LOL. But I'll keep watching until it does. You should be able to watch the first two episodes on demand through your 
PVR. I understand you've got a story about Quantum Leap. Well, I, I never watched it when it was on back in the day, except I did turn it on three different times during its five-year run, and every single time I turned it on, it was the same episode. It was, <laughs> I, I, I guess I saw it the first time, and I watched it, and I was like, oh, that was okay, and then didn't, but I didn't go back to it, and then like a year later or whatever, I was like, oh, let's try Quantum Leap again. Rerun of that same episode, and then the next third time is the same one. I was like... Are they screwing with me? Is this a joke or something? Why is it always the same episode whenever I try to watch this show? You were on again a quantum loop. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that must have been what it was. It was bizarre. Yeah, so if you want to watch the original series, it doesn't look like they're streaming anywhere, but you can probably get your hands on them digitally if you want to rent them. I have them on DVD, so it looks like I might have to crack open some DVDs soon and go back to that classic. Up next, some huge news from Marvel this week. We are both excited to tell you next on The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and big news this week about the upcoming Deadpool movie. I didn't ask to be super... And I'm no hero. But when your worst enemy is after your best girl, it's time to be a superhero. Let's get out there and make a difference. Deadpool star Ryan Reynolds posted a short video on social media this week talking about the upcoming 2024's Deadpool 3, which will officially be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I've had to really search my soul on this one. Uh, his first appearance in the MCU obviously needs to feel special. We need to stay true to the character. Uh, find new depth, new motivation, new meaning. Every Deadpool needs to stand out and stand apart. It's been an incredible challenge that has forced me to reach down deep inside. And I have nothing completely empty up here and terrifying. But we did have one idea. Hey, Hugh, you want to play Wolverine one more time? Yeah, sure, Ryan. Boom! Wolverine is going to be in the new Deadpool movie. Hugh Jackman will reprise his iconic role once again some more for the first time since 2017's Logan, which at that time he said would be the last time he played the X-Men hero. Now, as you may remember, and spoilers for the movie Logan, Wolverine dies with some pretty strong finality in that movie. So in a follow-up social media post, Reynolds and Jackman do some explaining. Hi. Hi. How are you? You have questions. Yes. I, I had a lot of questions. I'm sure you had a lot of questions, but rest assured, we're going to answer them right now. Like, for example, how is Wolverine alive yeah. after Logan? Logan uh, takes place in 2029. Mm -hmm. Totally separate thing. Mm -hmm. Logan died in Logan. Not touching that. What actually happens in our film is these two... Are And then it's a minute of Reynolds apparently talking about the movie, but we can't hear him because the Wham! song is playing too loud over top. So that's pretty funny. So that's all we're getting uh, news-wise is that Wolverine will be in Deadpool 3, which is set before the events of the movie Logan. And it's all part of the MCU grand scheme of bringing in a lot of the outlying Marvel characters that have been in movies outside the MCU, bringing them into the fold. And Deadpool 3 is currently scheduled for a September 6, 2024 release. That's a ways a ways yet, though, so a lot could still change. But the exciting news. What do you think of that, Brett? I love it. I love it so much. And I don't really care what their explanation is because as far as I'm concerned, those 20th Century Fox movies 
all those X-Men movies, all of those movies, Marvel doesn't have to pay attention to any of them because they didn't happen in that same timeline. And if they want to include it or if they want to retcon something, all they have to say is multiverse. He's from the multiverse. It's just another version of Wolverine. But I'm just so thrilled that Hugh Jackman is going to be appearing as Wolverine at least once in the MCU because he's so good and it would just feel wrong if anybody else was playing him. And it makes perfect sense because he and Ryan Reynolds are such great friends. Uh, so that's probably how he was convinced to come back and do it. And I'm sure they offered him a big bucket of money because uh, if he if he trains as hard as he did last time, or for, I guess, not for Logan, but for, I guess it would have been the Wolverine, he looked jacked in that movie uh, because he was training. he was training with The Rock. The Rock actually got him bulked up. So, yeah, he's fantastic. And in terms of actors who have played superheroes over the years, he's still one of the best, if not the best, in that role. He's perfect in it, and I can't wait to see this. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And, and I think that, you know, Wolverine is a good character to show up in a Deadpool movie. Of course, the Deadpool movies have been, you know, rated R and got a lot of bad words and dirty jokes in them and stuff. And uh, Wolverine is probably the first superhero to drop an, drop an F-bomb in a movie because one of those, the, was it the first, first? class? Yeah, first class, X-Men first class. He has a, he shows up for like two seconds just to uh, tell a couple of characters to take a hike with some really foul language so he'll fit in well with uh deadpool that's that's a great place for uh you know wolverine to show up of course logan was rated r as well yeah and uh, wolverine fits in if they do go with an r rating that means they won't have to worry about the violence you know i mean his he's got blades in his hand that are super sharp and he uses like we saw him kill all kinds of people in those x-men movies but it was never we never saw blood or anything like that so I think they could have some fun with that. So I'm excited. September 6, 2024. Deadpool 3. It's a long time to wait, but it'll be it will be worth it. Wanted to also go over the new and returning shows that are coming your way this week in terms of the fall television preview. Looking at Sunday, October 2nd. Got some big ones happening here because The Walking Dead season 11, this is it. It's the final run for The Walking Dead, and uh, I actually might, now that I know that there's a finish line, I might go back. I've got a couple of seasons to catch up on, but I'm sort of curious to know how this ends. So that's uh, debuting on AMC on Sunday. Also on AMC, Anne Rice's interview with the vampire makes its debut, so I'm curious about that. The Equalizer Season 3 on Global. CBS has a new cop show called East New York. The CW has a new show called Family Law. CW also airing season four of Coroner, which, by the way, is a CBC show. And I believe season four aired earlier this year in Canada. And season 33 of America's Funniest Videos, if you can believe that. I can't believe that's still a thing. Monday, October 3rd, season six of The Good Doctor. I did not know that was already into its sixth season. That's crazy. Wednesday, October 5th, we've got Chucky, season two on Showcase. Season three of Kung Fu. On C-dubs, The Real Love Boat, that's a new show on CBS and on Global. And Reginald the Vampire, new show on Sci-Fi in the U.S. That's going to be on Prime Video in Canada. On Thursday, October 6th, we've got A Friend of the Family. That's a new show on Peacock, which debuts on Showcase on October 17th, which stars Anna Paquin and Colin Hanks. It's a true crime show about a girl who was kidnapped multiple times by the neighbor. Station 19, Season 6. 
Walker season three on the CW and a spinoff Walker independence. It's like a prequel an origin story of the Walker clan. That's also on CW uh, season 19 of Grey's Anatomy. And then a new show on ABC starring Hillary Swank called Alaska daily. And just a quick look at what's new at the movies. So in theaters, we've got a scary movie called smile, which looks really creepy and is getting good reviews. We've got bros from producer Judd Apatow. It's uh, the first ever romantic comedy about two gay men and it looks hilarious. It's getting awesome reviews. Disney plus has hocus pocus two, And the first one came out in 93, by the way. And then Apple TV plus has one called the greatest beer run ever. And in the trailer, it says a real guy actually did this. Zach Efron plays a guy who made his way to Vietnam just to give some American soldiers some beer, not getting the best reviews is the greatest beer run ever. And uh, we've got a couple more minutes here before we are going to tell you about some exciting news on one of Jeff's, uh, well, both of us, we both really enjoyed this show, so we'll get to that in a moment. But I just wanted to quickly touch on something else that's on Prime. The enemy is still out there. The question now is where? It is over. You have not seen what I've seen. I have seen my share. You have not seen. The Rings of Power, Amazon's billion-dollar Lord of the Rings adaptation. The first two episodes blew us both away. We were so excited at what we were seeing. But we're five episodes in now, and yes, it still looks pretty, and it looks pretty expensive. But I'm bored. Like, nothing's happening. And I just wanted to ask you, Jeff, what's your feeling five episodes into this thing? Yeah, I, I'm starting to agree with you. Last week, you told me, it's like, you know what? I think I'm getting bored with it. And I was like, really? And then I watched the last episode and i was like yeah i could see that because you're right the the plot is very slow to get going they're like the hobbit movies uh while they had their problems we were talking about those before and then of course the original lord of the rings trilogy which is you know hands down one of the greatest movie trilogies of all time both those things have clear stakes and adventure momentum people are on the move moving forward and forward and forward towards their clearly stated goal which is either to throw the ring away or to rescue the hobbits from, you know, these bad guys or to go uh, chase a dragon out of a mountain kind of a thing. And with this TV show, th- none of that stuff is there. It's we, we, we know that there is like the growing darkness and uh, evil forces are sort of gathering, but th- th- there's just no real, you know, set out point to what anybody is doing. So it's kind of baffling like that and that they don't have more of a proper plot in the mix. I I mean, it's a problem that Lost suffered from in season three and they got slammed for it where people were just like, you're just spinning your wheels, get on with it already. And then they figured out a way how to get on with it and that other shows haven't learned that lesson all these years later is bizarre, especially when you're talking about something like the Rings of Power, which is only trying to fill eight or 10 episodes this season. You'd think they would have come up with a, a, a plot that would, uh, you know, have some momentum to it. Yeah. So we'll see if it improves with episode six. They've only got three left. Some other great news from prime regarding Jim. You're listening to the couch potatoes. Welcome back to the couch potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I've been revisiting a movie franchise that doesn't get a ton of attention and has been so scattershot over the years that a lot of people probably don't even think of it as a franchise. I'm talking about the Jack Ryan movies. The Russian disappeared. Invisible. This thing could park a couple of hundred warheads off Washington and New York. Stolen. He's defecting. The Russians know this, which is why they've been trying to sink him for the past. 
two days. The hunt is on. Now you want us to help you hunt him down and kill him. Battle stations. Give the man a chance. From the director of Die Hard. Torpedo is an acquisition. From the best-selling novel by Tom Clancy. We sail into history. The Hunt for Red October. There have been five Jack Ryan movies released in the last 32 years, starting with The Hunt for Red October in 1990, followed by Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, The Sum of All Fears, and Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. In those five movies, four actors have played Jack Ryan, Alec Baldwin, Harrison Ford twice, Ben Affleck, and Chris Pine, which has likely played a big part in people not really thinking of it as a franchise, plus all those movies are not necessarily canonically connected. Um, author Tom Clancy created the character and wrote a series of books, which is what most of the movies are based on. And if you're unfamiliar, they're political spy thrillers, although Jack Ryan is not a spy per se. He's an analyst for the CIA. He's supposed to be working a desk job in Washington, but always seems to find himself caught up in the action of it all. And that's a fun look for a hero. I mean, part of the reason Die Hard was so successful was the everyman quality that Bruce Willis brought to John McClane after years of guys like Stallone and Schwarzenegger playing one-man army types who couldn't possibly exist in real life. Jack Ryan, of course, is even less qualified to be in the field than John McClane was. He was an active cop at the time, although Ryan is a former Marine, so he knows how to fire a gun if he has to. It's a smart move because when he does get thrown into the action, you know, it's not completely implausible that he could fight somebody. I bought this Blu-ray box set of the movies this past week, and I watched three of them, The Hunt for Red October, The Sum of All Fears, and Shadow Recruit. In other words, all the movies that don't star Harrison Ford. And it was a blast. I've seen the Ford movies uh, a lot, probably twice each in the last two years, which is why I didn't go right into them, But because I've, I've only ever seen these other three movies once or twice each ever. The Hunt for Red October, of course, is a stone-cold classic, even with Sean Connery using his Scottish accent to play a Russian submarine commander. There's a lot of great tension in that movie, if not a ton of action. Most of these Ryan movies have maybe a little less action than you would think in favor of more suspense, which is a refreshing change of pace. Because, I mean, finding action movies is very easy, but finding quality storytelling that hinges on smart people making smart plays is a much more difficult and therefore much more satisfying uh, endeavor when you do come across it. I was struck by how good Alec Baldwin was in that movie. I honestly think of him as a, a comic actor at this point, but he was really good as the first Jack Ryan. Ben Affleck is, I guess, the least of the bunch, although while I was watching The Sum of All Fears from 2002, I did find myself wishing that they would make a few more movies with Affleck as Ryan. Older Ben Affleck is, I think, maybe my favorite actor of our generation, actually, and he's around the same age now that Harrison Ford probably was in Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger, so I, I think they could really get some current day, uh, some good Jack Ryan movies out of Ben Affleck. At the time of Some of All Fears in 2002, Affleck was on, you know, that decidedly downward uh, career trajectory. And the sum of all fears is probably overlooked because it was released so close to things like Geely and Jersey Girl and other fiascos in his career. It's too bad. Um, you know, he's not as good at, in it as he is capable of being, but it's maybe not his fault. The movie's a little thin on his characterization, but I will say that I think the sum of all fears has one of the best plots of any of these movies where terrorists acquire a nuclear bomb 
and then you kind of make this play to trick the U.S. and Russia into going to war with each other. If you've never seen it, it's really worth a watch. And then, of course, there's Jack Ryan, a shadow recruit from 2014 with Chris Pine. It's an origin story showing how he came to be in the CIA, and he goes up against a Russian bad guy played by Kenneth Branagh, who also directed the movie. And I'm pretty sure Branagh signed on just so he could play his thick Russian accent, which he seems to love to do. I thought it was interesting that the three movies I watched this week all had Russians as either the outright bad guys or at least as antagonists of some sort. Shadow Recruit is a fun movie, again, filled with tension. And being a more modern movie than the ones from the 90s, there is a bit more action into it than some of those other Ryan movies. And I love Chris Pine. He's a very underrated uh, actor among the Chris's and among all actors, I think. He's convincing as Ryan. You believe he's... You believe him as a desk jockey, but of course you can also believe that he makes that turn into an action hero uh, by the end of the movie. And while I think uh, my preference would be to see new movies with Ben Affleck as Ryan, I wouldn't have a problem with another Chris Pine movie. Just make another Jack Ryan movie. But of course, as you alluded to, Brett, what we've been getting and what we're going to keep getting is the TV show Jack Ryan on Prime Video. Uh, where the character is played by John Krasinski, a.k.a. Jim from The Office. And he's also very well cast. There have been two terrific seasons of that so far. A third season is complete, and we found out this week that that will be released on Prime Video on December 21st, which got me very excited because over Christmas I'm going to be looking for something to watch. So a season of Jack Ryan is going to fit the bill ever so nicely. And they say there'll be a fourth and final season as well. But while we wait for that, I had a blast revisiting the film, something I highly recommend if you haven't seen them in a while. What do you think, Brett? Do you see, like those movies or you like the show better? Um, I haven't seen most of those movies. Like, if I'm being wow. honest, I think the only one that I've seen is The Hunt for Red October. I definitely haven't seen the Chris Pine one. If I saw the Harrison Ford ones, I don't remember them. And I know I have not seen the Ben Affleck ones. So I would, I should go watch them because... The Hunt for Red October is one of very few movies where if I happen to be scrolling, just flipping through channels and The Hunt for Red October is on, like, well, there's the rest of my day. <laughs> it's over because I cannot. I've seen that movie probably 10 times. I love it so much. You're right. Stone Cold Classic. It's so good. And it's all, I always wondered why Alec Baldwin never did any more Jack Ryan. But yeah, lots of great actors have played Jack Ryan. Looking forward to more of the TV show. And that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.